the History Channel original podcast. Sports history this week. January 6th, 1925. I'm Kalen Jones. Inside Madison Square Garden in New York City, 9,000 fans jam into 8,000 seats, all to watch a track meet. Really, just to watch two of the events. Everyone present hopes to catch a glimpse of a 27-year-old Finnish superstar, someone they've only seen in grainy newspaper photos or silent newsreels at the movie theater. His name, Pavo Nermi. He is the absolute god of long-distance running. Pavo Nermi is known for his serious demeanor. He rarely smiles, even as he shocked the world and won five gold medals at the Olympics last summer. He's been dubbed a Marvel, a Superman, the Flying Finn. The feat has earned him countless invitations to race across the United States, and he accepts. Nermi spends 16 days traveling from Finland. This one-mile race will kick off a 55-event tour of the U.S. to take place over five months. It will mean an event practically every other day. The New York Times writes, No athlete heretofore ever attempted such a strenuous schedule of combined running and traveling in such a short period. At Madison Square Garden, Nermi lines up alongside America's choice of premier runners. The frenzied crowd screams itself hoarse. And the race is on. Today, the winningest track and field Olympian of all time begins a massive tour of the United States. How does someone once considered a slow trudger outrun the world? And how does this grueling American tour change the course of his career? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Just a few years before his flashy American tour, Few would know the name Pavo Nermi outside the coastal town of Turku in southwest Finland. In 1918, Nermi is just another soldier in the Civil War. Last year, the Grand Duchy of Finland declared independence from Russia following the Bolshevik Revolution. But it left a power vacuum and ensuing civil war. Nermi doesn't have a choice. He's commanded to fight and is sent to a barrack 60 miles north of his hometown, to a place called Pori. The only upside to this war for Nermi? The army values athletic skill. A big chance comes with the annual Finnish army march, a nine-mile slog. Instead of marching, 
Nermi requests to run. His officer says, sure, go for it. Pavo Nermi's interest in running began young. It was a pastime, something to do with friends after school, or a way to get around town. It's also an escape from a difficult family life, where he's one of five siblings in a poor home. When Nermi is 12, their financial situation becomes worse when their father suddenly dies. Pavo is left as the family's primary breadwinner. He gets a job as a delivery boy for a bakery, frequently carrying items up a steep, long hill to the railway station. Chris Turner is the director of the Heritage Department of World Athletics. He started from a very hard base, and that gave him discipline. That's how I've always read it, in terms of how he became a runner. Summer after summer, Nermi keeps running, through local woods or on roads near his home. Roger Robinson writes about the history of long-distance running. There are stories, and again, how true they are, we don't know, of him running up hills, holding onto the back of the tram as it goes up the hill in, in Helsinki. He continues to train, but has trouble getting much faster. It's this point, at 21 years old, that Nermi is called up to fight in the Civil War. Nermi runs that nine-mile annual march and finishes in less than an hour. That's an average speed of roughly six minutes and 20 seconds a mile. That's fast, considering he's in full uniform, holding a rifle, cartridge pack, and a hefty sack of sand. Nermi's time at war served as a turning point in his running career. He's finally getting faster. In fact, only two other runners in Finland are faster than him. He learns that, in addition to significant mileage, he needs to incorporate speed work into his training. In other words, Nermi helps show himself and countless future runners that sprints are a necessary aspect of improvement. For the first time, Nermi is seen as an athlete of promise. Pavlo Nermi stands inside an unfinished stadium in Antwerp, Belgium. The conditions are less than ideal. World War I devastated the country, and Belgium could only rebuild so much before hosting the 1920 Summer Olympics. Pavlo Nermi now prepares himself to run in the 5K, his first ever Olympic event. So he was not known before the Olympics. That's Yari Salonen, the head of a nonprofit called Pavlo Nermi Turku Oi devoted to festival and legacy activities carrying Pavo Nermi's name. At the 1920 Olympics, Nermi initially expects to run the 10K first, but the schedule flipped. The change throws him off. The young runner has a powerful need to plan in advance of his races. In fact, it's part of what makes him great. Chris Turner. He dominated more in his mind than he did in his physicality. He outsight anybody who he ran against. The stadium looks half empty. A few well-dressed men watch passively behind a fence. Long, white columns line the open-air arena. The race includes ten men. A few Brits, Swedes, and two Finns, including Nermi. And they're off. Immediately, Nermi strays from his plan, still thrown off from the schedule change. He scrambles to the head of the pack. A short Frenchman, Joseph Guillemot, manages to stick behind Nermi, 
who's running looks panicked. This is not going how we had planned. Nermi had intended to save speed at the beginning and leave gas in the tank for the final sprint. Instead, the Frenchman Guillemo surges past Nermi and wins the gold. He beats Nermi by 4.4 seconds. Nermi wins the silver medal and is mortified with his own performance. Yari Solomon. Maybe it was very important to get second place in, in the first race. Then he decided not to lose a game, and he didn't. Yeah, and he didn't. That, that's the, I guess, remarkable piece of his history. Three days later, Nermi does run the 10K, his strongest event. He's back at loggerheads with Francis Joseph Guillermo. This time, though, Nermi is not going to make the same mistake. Roger Robinson. He ran the next race with a different tactic and kind of outfought Juilamo. And he ekes out a victory over Guillermo by 1.4 seconds. And won his first gold medal. Nermi does not look thrilled. There's no sense of him holding his hands up in the air and dancing with joy and the things that you know athletes do these days and that we like to see them do. For Nermi, it was very much businesslike, scowling, stern, a remote personality. Nobody could get close to him. Nermi goes on to win his next race, the cross-country event, handily. With two golds now under his belt, he becomes a national celebrity. He came to his first Olympics as an outsider. From then onwards, of course, he was the godlike figure. He's flooded with attention, but he's not happy. The races were too close. Nermi's not interested in just winning. He wants to dominate. The next Olympics, he wouldn't make the same mistake. In July of 1924, Nermi arrives at the sweltering hot Olympic Games in the northwestern suburb of Paris. The events feel grander than just a few years ago in Antwerp. In fact, these Olympics see a huge increase in scale. More media coverage, more athletes. The number of participating countries jumps from 29 to 44. At a time when there isn't endless entertainment available, the Olympics are front and center. Possibly the biggest thing anybody would ever even have thought about if they went to Paris in 1924. That's the biggest thing they're ever going to see in their life. And Nermi is the main attraction. This time, he has a shot at five gold medals. The first two are the 1500 meter, which is a little less than a mile, and the 5000 meter, a little over three. He already holds world records in both events. The problem? They're back to back just an hour apart. Roger Robinson. Normally, an athlete would program at least two or three days recovery between such events. And the thought of doing two on the same afternoon is is extraordinary. The day of the races, July 10th, 1924, Nermi arrives at the Parisian Stadium. On the track, he walks up to a starting point readying himself to run against the best competition in the world and see if his training has paid off. Little does the world know just how prepared he really is. After the last Olympics, Nermi was unsatisfied, even after winning three gold medals. So he began training in a new way, 
he was working a full day and then starting the training in the evening or it would start when the long runs in the morning. But he was a full day's work and a full day's training. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> the funny part is like now it's so normalized. Nermi studied running like a scientist, working to perfect his stride length, method of breathing, and proper pacing. He wouldn't just train by going for a jog, but rather taking long walks, doing calisthenics, getting massages, soaking in saunas. He was pretty much the first major athlete to show that year-round commitment and that scientific approach to training. In the Harvards, in the Yales, in the Oxfords, in the Cambridge, you were not supposed to train. This was a thing about being gentlemen, and you were just going to go out and show your Olympian prowess without any real training. I think early on, he, he clearly was a student of running and made himself expert in the science of it. Nermi developed something called even pace running, meaning he tried to run specific distances and specific times. If he could hit his marks, then he didn't have to worry about the opponents themselves. To accomplish this unconventional strategy, Nermi runs with a gold stopwatch, checking his time constantly. Once he knew he was on course and he had beaten his competitors, he would just throw the stopwatch out of his hand into the center of the infield. As the Paris Olympics drew closer, his hard work began to yield results, breaking one world record after another. It began with the 10K, crushing that record by more than 18 seconds. In 1922, he broke three more. In 23, another three. He wanted to go out and prove he was the best. Now at the 1924 Olympic Games, Nermi lines up alongside 11 other men. It won't be an easy race. Also, it's 95 degrees. It's on. Englishman Douglas Howe gets out front immediately. But as Howe approaches the first bend, a flash of light blue appears to his right. Nermi takes the lead, pursued by the Americans. He was not a lithe and athletic-looking figure. He was sturdy, stocky, some term like that you would want to use, quite short. The first lap is blazingly fast. As the second one begins, the others slow down. It seems Nermi is the only one prepared for the draining start. Nevertheless, America's Ray Watson sticks by him while the two distance themselves from the competition. Nermi looks at his stopwatch in his open hand and smiles. Still in the lead, he slows down to a more manageable pace. If you watch his legs, he had an extraordinary high spring and his stride for his height was very long. And I think that was what he must have studied. As Nermi crosses into the third and final lap of the race, he holds a 40 meter lead over Ray Watson. Nermi tosses his stopwatch to the ground and creates even more space between himself and his opponents. Near the finish line, the Brit, Henry Staller, pulls within striking distance of Nermi. The crowd lets him know. Nermi speeds up and wins. 1,500 meters in three minutes and 53.6 seconds. It's an Olympic record. But Nermi can't soak in the victory yet. His next race is in less than an hour. He's rushed back to a dressing room to recover. And soon, 
he's back on the line for the 5K. Neither of the men next to him have competed for two days. Nurmi just set an Olympic record. Nobody thinks he has the strength left to win this race. Victory seems impossible to everyone but him. Nurmi is running once again, stopwatch in hand. Edvin Vita rushes to the front of the pack. The Swedish phenom could certainly give Nurmi a run for his money. A small pack forms with Vita setting the pace up front. At the halfway mark of the race, Nurmi and his Finnish rival, Via Ritola, surge past Vita. As the race goes on, Nurmi sets an incredible pace, but Ritola keeps up, ready to cut out in front. In the last lap, Nurmi goes even faster to the tune of a screaming crowd. His lead is only two meters over Ritola. And then, Nurmi wins, again, and sets an Olympic record, again. In less than 90 minutes, Nurmi wins two gold medals, sets two Olympic records, and shocks the world. That really was an extraordinary thing for any athlete as early as that, 1924, to have that capability. Because normally they were all totally exhausted and fell about at the end of a race. Well, of course, because they weren't trained properly for what they were doing. Nermi responds to the victory by calmly picking up his stopwatch from the grass and jogging out of the arena. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. It's the summer of 1924. Pavo Nermi has just won two gold medals and set two Olympic records. Newspapers erupt over his accomplishments. They call Nermi the greatest runner in the world, not just of his era, but any. He's awarded nicknames like the Flying Finn, Modern Mercury, and the man who chases a ghost. Over the next few days, Nermi goes on to win three more gold medals at the 1924 Olympics in his remaining three events. No runner has ever won five golds in a single Olympic Games. Nermi becomes the winningest track and field athlete on the planet and arguably retains that title still today, nearly a hundred years later. It's beyond compare what he did, to be quite frank. 
people were just full of admiration because his achievements were so extraordinary, and they still are extraordinary. The Paris Games launched Nermi in the stratospheric fame. Just to put it into perspective, this guy was in his day as well-known worldwide as all the Hollywood royalty. Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. You knew who Nermi was. He was the most recognizable name on the planet, along with those superstars. He got invitations from all over the world. This is Kala. Kala Virtapohja. He's a Finnish sports writer and author who's also researched Nermi extensively. Finland commissions a statue of their athlete, leaning into the young country's new identity as a capital of track and field. Sporting success very much became what it was to be a Finn. The demand for Nermi continues as he's invited to join countless races across the United States. This evolves into an American tour, which is five months of constant running. Nermi, who has a reputation for being more reclusive, for him to go out and do this tour, I mean, why, why would he decide to do that when he would probably prefer to be to himself? That's an interesting question. He was the one who did all the negotiations for the competitions, and he took care of all the arrangements. For Pavo, he could continue his own life. It was uh, easy for him because it was natural. He didn't have to talk to uh, anyone. strangers. And he didn't want to stay in five-star hotels. No. It was very modest. But uh, I think uh, Pavo loved money. Yes, the tour would be a chance to see America. It would give him a chance to further establish himself as the most dominant runner on Earth. But ultimately, Nermi's decision appears to be rooted in cash. I'm sure he came under a lot of pressure politically to do that tour, because as I said, he was the asset to Finland's national identity at the time. But also, he would have understood the monetary benefit he was going to get from it. Yeah, that's the thing, like running the risk of potentially being caught up in, you know, the whole amateurism, getting caught, getting paid. Like, I guess that's the element that is a little interesting to me because it's like, why would you risk your eligibility to compete when you also are such a global superstar and how important you are, not just to your people, but, you know, globally. But it's a risk Nermi took. And of course, the money would all be under the table, but it would be extremely unlikely that he would achieve the success that he did and not be getting some under the table payments. It's January 6th, 1924, and Pavel Nermi is inside Madison Square Garden about to kick off his months-long tour. The indoor track is thick with cigar smoke, which doesn't bother him a bit. A slew of other events are underway, including the 50-meter dash, two-mile walk, and running high jump. Nermi has set the race twice. The hope is to emulate his incredible feat in Paris, winning the 1,500-meter, followed by the 5K in a matter of 90 minutes. How would you describe it if you're going to like paint a picture for our listeners of what it would have looked like inside back then? Electric. To be honest, it, it was like a, it was like the Beatles going on tour or Presley going on tour. That's what we're talking about as the buzz. Must have been a, a huge experience for Papa too, because Madison Square Garden, twelve thousand people. He hadn't witnessed anything like that before himself. Nermi may be fine with the cigar smoke filling Madison Square Garden, 
but he's not used to the indoor track. They don't exist in Europe yet, and it feels too springy for the Flying Finn's liking. In fact, Nermi nearly leaves the tour given his concern for indoor running. The 1500 meter race gets going. The premier middle distance runner in America, Joey Ray, gets a head start. But Nermi bides his time, knowing his even pacing strategy will prevail in the end. Indeed it does. Nermi wins the race with a time of 4 minutes and 13 seconds. While 20 seconds slower than his Olympic time, it's enough for an indoor world record. The 5K goes the same way. His rival Via Rotola keeps pace with Nermi until the final 200 meters and Nermi sets another indoor record. Up next, Chicago. Then back to New York, to Buffalo. People are rabid to see Nermi. By month's end, more than 50,000 people have come out to see him. He was doing demonstrations around universities, schools, cinemas, town halls. Everybody wanted to meet him. And I talked about three American presidents. Countless mayors of New York and Chicago came and met him and met him at airports and things like that. It was big, big news. On February 21st, Nermi has a race in Washington, D.C. But before it, he's got a little meeting with the President of the United States, Calvin Coolidge. The craze over Nermi results in round-the-clock newspaper coverage. Headlines when he doesn't break a world record. Think pieces about how his Spartan-finished diet of black bread and porridge make him superhuman. He's offered tens of thousands of dollars to run in various races and perhaps even appear in a movie. When I, I look at from 100 years after that, uh, it seems to me that the Nurmi was a kind of circus star. It was a circus tour with a freak, running freak, Nurmi from Finland, who is just saying nothing but just running. By March, Nurmi has shattered 27 world records since arriving in the States. But the wear and tear of constant traveling and racing begins to weigh on him. He gets sick and starts missing races. By April, Nermi heads to Montreal and confirms through an interpreter. He's tired. But there's still another month of racing to go. San Francisco, Kansas City, Boston. And finally, on May 27, 1925, back to New York for his final farewell race. Nermi is at Yankee Stadium back on the racetrack now in front of 20,000 people, significantly more than the average attendance of an actual Yankee game that year. Nermi loses to America's best middle distance runner. Once again, he tells reporters through his translator, he's exhausted. It's May 29, 1925. Nermi is set to depart from the U.S. standing at the dock on West 57th Street. He's 10 pounds lighter than when he arrived in the country five months ago. Nermi poses for pictures and says through a translator he doesn't plan to return anytime soon. He steps on a boat and departs for his home back in Finland. And after that, he was just so exhausted. He didn't compete during uh, summertime. Only in the autumn, he returned to competitions. He, he, he was really tired. After five months, 
55 races and 38 world records, Nurmi has had enough. His body was wrecked, effectively wrecked. He said his body never recovered from that tour. It's just bizarre that in such a short period of time that he was to run, you know, nearly 60 races. The tour was a turning point for Nurmi. It may have wrecked his body, but it solidified him in the record books forever. And that's not all. It set him up for life, financially. And uh, there was a lot of motivation in the way he ran, the way he trained, because of the grit and the determination based on his, the hardship of his childhood. There's no doubt. I think, it, like anybody, when they get a bit of money, there's not quite the same urgency. Nermi gets involved in real estate, buying up blocks of Helsinki. It's the start of a long career in business. Over the next few years, Nermi does continue to run, but he's no longer the world beater he once was. In the 1928 Olympics, he wins a gold, but only collects silvers in two other races. It was a managed decline, really, but a managed decline at such a high level, which most runners would aspire to, to be the height of their own careers at any point. Nermi would wrap up his career with nine gold and three silver medals, along with 58 official and unofficial world records. Only a few runners have ever come close to Nermi, including American runners Carl Lewis and Allison Felix, along with Jamaica's Usain Bolt. Beyond that, the Finnish phenom changed running forever. He was the father of long-distance running, as we understand it, because he believed the more you ran, the better you got. And that was at an era when every coach and every doctor would say, if you run too much, you will, quote, go stale. Nermi popularized new forms of training, devised new race strategies, and proved that success at competitive running can come from more than just inherent talent. His legacy was his contribution to our thinking about long-distance running as something close to a full-time occupation. It still amazes me, really, that the stature of the guy is still not better known. Do you feel like he should be more popular than he is? Oh, 100%. Effectively, his stature still is not of the level it should be. I have colleagues here who will have known in the world athletics here, younger colleagues, who would hopefully know of Jesse Owens. When I say, much to my chagrin about Nermi, and you get blank looks, and then I start to reel off everything that's done, and then they look a bit sheepish. Aside somebody like Thor, basically Nermi was the first world sports star, somebody that across the world you would have heard of. And that is the stature of the man. That's the stature which basically meant that people wanted to be like him. While Nermi may not be a household name, his stature was sufficient to get featured in movies like Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman and even The Simpsons, when Mr. Burns brags that his car wants outrace Nermi. And in Finland, there's certainly no question as to the importance of Nermi himself. Kaja Virtapoja. Paavo Nurmi for us Finns is, is much more than just a runner or, or Olympic hero. In a way, he's inside of our genetics. His explosion onto the scene in 1920 aligned perfectly with Finland's 1917 independence. So it was just those years that we were uh, hoping to get international reputation and uh, recognition. recognition, yes. It was most important to get good results in the Olympics. And 
1924 Olympics, Finland was almost the number one nation in the world. The national identity became stronger because of his running achievements. At this very moment, Salonen and Birtopoja speak to us from the Helsinki Olympic Stadium, outside of which stands a massive Pavo Nurmi statue. The name Pavo Nurmi is like a symbol for success. The name represents high quality in a way. Today's modern word is, is a resilience, and, and uh, I think Nurmi symbolizes of some kind of resilience. You can, and uh, through harsh times, you go through, and, and you have to work your way through anyway. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thanks for listening to Sports History This Week. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. Other notable sports stories that happened this week? 1993. Frank Reich leads the Buffalo Bills back from a record 32-point deficit against the Houston Oilers. In 2022, the Minnesota Vikings break that record with a 33-point comeback against the Indianapolis Colts. 2007, Nick Saban resigns as head coach of the Miami Dolphins and returns to college football the coach at the University of Alabama. If you want to get in touch, feel free to email us at sportspod at history.com or leave a voicemail at 212-351-0410. We love to hear from our fans and non-fans too. Special thanks to our guest, Chris Turner, the director of the Heritage Department of World Athletics, Roger Robinson, writer and author on the subject of long-distance running, Yari Solonen, CEO of the nonprofit Pavo Nermi Turku Oi, and Kaye Virtapoya, expert on Pavo Nermi and sports history author. This episode was produced by Cooper McKim, story edited by me, Kalen Jones, and sound designed by Bill Moss. Sports History This Week is also produced by David Ingber. Our associate producers are Emma Fredericks and Hazel May. Our senior producer is Ben Dixney. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.